everybody and welcome to another service online together. We're excited that you're here. As we continue our journey of getting ready together, looking at the breaking of bread, we're going to celebrate communion as an SBC family today. And so if you'd like to hit pause now quickly so that you can run and get some juice and bread that you can use as your elements, please feel free to do that. We'll take communion at the end of the sermon. I've got nothing new that I need to bring to your attention today. I only wanted to encourage you and say that I hope that you have come with hearts full with worship today. Guys, we get to worship the Lord as we hear from his word. We're going to worship the Lord as we celebrate communion and remember the death and resurrection of Christ. You're invited to worship the Lord through song as we sing at the end of the service. You can also worship the Lord through giving today, or you can worship through sharing an answered prayer or testimony in our comment feed and giving God glory for what he's doing in your life. I hope that you guys have a great service. And if you want to come join us in person, you can still sign up for church in November. See you soon. Morning, everybody. We're so glad you can join us for this online service. We hope that the warmth of the Holy Spirit will be with you. The reading is from Luke 4, The Temptation of Jesus. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Here we see Jesus Christ being tempted and tested. And that was something that Christ had to overcome in order to become the perfect sacrifice without blemish. It was not a foregone conclusion when Christ came to this world. He had to overcome sin and overcome temptation. And that's what we celebrate. And when Christ was resurrected, that same power of resurrection in Christ is within us. That's why we have overcome death through Christ as we are in Him. That's the celebration. That's what Christ has achieved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come together now, we thank you for what you have done, that we can be reconciled with you for what Christ has achieved in his ministry and on the cross. We ask that we would hear your word now, that the Holy Spirit would open our minds and still our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy the service, everybody. Good morning, Sterling Baptist, and welcome to another online service. It's great to have you this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 2, 42 to 47. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up. Otherwise, it won't be on the screen as well. Um, Acts 2, 42 to 47. Let us read. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all in wonder came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
we over the last man couple of weeks have been going through a series called Getting Ready to Gather. And our foundational text has been that one we've just read, Acts 2, 42 to 47, where we have noticed that the early church gave themselves, devoted themselves, get committed themselves with time to at least four things, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so what we have been doing as a church over the last couple of weeks is we've been unpacking those things. We've looked for three sermons into the apostles' teaching. We did two sermons on the fellowship. And then last week, Matt kicked us off by looking at the third part, which is the breaking of bread. And so we're going to be finishing off that section this morning. And, and last week, Matt packed brilliantly and wonderfully um, the, the meaning of the Lord's uh, Supper or breaking of bread or communion. I want to use those words interchangeably this morning just for your information. Uh, they mean the same thing. And he spoke about this wonderful meaning. And if you've missed that, I'd really encourage you to go and listen to it. It will warm your heart towards Christ. It will really talk about the importance of what is being expressed in the Lord's Supper. Though we will touch on it briefly this morning here and there, there's this wonderful, wonderful sermon that will really help you get to the meaning behind this incredible ordinance um, that uh, Christ has left us as a church. And uh, this morning, the goal that we're going to try and do is we're going to look at the hows, the, the whos, the, the whens, the, and, and at the end, we'll look at some, the, some of the benefits to those. If we get this right, what are the benefits to the believer? But in order for us to do this, I, I want to just show you briefly that the Lord's Supper is connected to and is an expression of the previous two sections. When, when Luke penned Acts 2, 42 to 47, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he didn't just randomly put some nice words together, but there was a real intention of putting these in order, a chronological order. There's a progressive nature to this list. And while I would love to unpack how the apostles teach and the fellowship connects so wonderfully, and they do, we just don't have time this morning. But I want to show you that the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, is an expression of the previous two. Uh, the Lord's Supper is an expression of the apostles' teaching. Michael Eaton says this. He says that it is an invisible for the Lord's Supper is a visible form of preaching. And we, we see this in a passage in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26. It says, for as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, there it is, you proclaim or you preach or you announce the Lord's death until he comes. As you hold the elements, as you hold the bread, as you hold the wine and you hold those two things, it preaches to your soul. You can't help but as you hold these to be reminded of the magnificent, glorious love that God has bestowed upon you, that you have been a recipient of this incredible grace. As you hold these elements and remember that the Jesus' blood was shed, that you are reminded that the wrath of God that was meant for you was poured out on Christ. And you are reminded again and again and again that you have been crucified with Christ. You are no longer part of the world the world is no longer a part of you but what Christ has done for you is that he has set you free from sin and from death and so as you hold these things and you hold these elements and what they represent to you is and what they do is they express and proclaim the wonders of what Christ has done so that's how they're connected to the Lord's uh, to the apostles teaching just a, a little 
brief summary there. But also it's connected uh, to uh, the fellowship. Uh, the Lord's Supper is connected to the fellowship. And we see this in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, Paul writing to the church of Corinth says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake um, of the one bread. And now essentially what Paul is saying is, as we, if you have this imagery of one big loaf, and as we take this bread and we break it out, we pull off pieces and we dish it out to all those who believe, to many different people. And what it shows us is that although we are different, although we are different in our ethnicity, our different cultures, different language, different political suasions, though we come from different suburbs, whatever the case might be, that we are all equally recipients of what Christ has done as believers. That we all get to partake and have partaken in the death and resurrection of Christ through faith in him. That we get to receive this and enjoy the grace that he has had and so as we partake of these elements not only is my heart warm to him as I remember the extent of what he has done as it preaches to my soul but as I partake of these elements I look around and I have love for those who are around me because I know that they too are a part of the same body that I am part of they too have received the grace and forgiveness of Christ they too have been recipients of his love and that there is a wonderful expression of the fellowship. And, and that's important for us because as we talk about the hows and the whys and the whens and et cetera, et cetera, these two things are the, the gospel, the, the work of what Christ has done, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship are going to have a major influence on how we should and how we should not take it. And so let's dive straight into, the, into some real practical parts of this. And the first one, the first question we're going to ask this morning is who gets to take and partake of these elements? And uh, what we see here is that it's only for the believer. It is only for the person who has come to a realization that they need Jesus Christ. It is only for the person, like John 3.16 says, has been born again. This is a person who has realized their sinfulness before God in light of his holiness, in light of his might, in light of the magnitude of this God. They have realized that they have fallen drastically short, that they are sinful and that they are not deserved of any good, but rather deserved of his wrath and are in desperate need of a savior. But this person has also, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, seen that Jesus Christ is that very Savior, that he lived the life that he could, that we could not live, that he went and died on the cross for us. And on that cross, the wrath of God that was meant for us has been poured out on him. And through his death and through the shedding of his blood and his resurrection, we now are saved if we repent and turn to him and ask him for forgiveness we will be saved. And that person who does that goes from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. They go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. They are born again. They are followers of Christ. They are believers in Jesus. And it is only for the person who has been born again, who can say, I am a Christian and know what that means they themselves can partake of the sediment. And so that means uh, for those who uh, think that they can come to God uh, based on their own righteousness, that they are not 
worthy of coming. And so let me explain to you, um, or I should I say not worthy, they, they should not come. Um, and so let me explain it to like this. If I had to ask you the question, uh, why should you get into heaven? Um, that age old question that some of you have heard many times before. If your response to me is, Joe, I should get into heaven because I'm, I'm relatively good. I'm a decent guy. I'm a good husband. I, my kids like me. I try my best to give them some of my time. I volunteer at the local SPCA. I, uh, you know, I don't hit my wife. I'm just, I'm a decent guy. I'm a good guy. I'm not as bad as my neighbors. They do a whole bunch of things. And so that's why I should get in. If, if that's the case, my friend, then the reality is that you should not uh, come to the Lord's table because what it shows is that you have not yet understood what Christ has done. You are basing your ability to be able to come into the presence of God, not uh, based on your righteousness and your work, but not on the righteousness of Christ and what he has done. And therefore, it is right for you not to partake of those elements. You need to see your own sinfulness see your need for Christ and cling and depend on him. The opposite might be true as well. You might be saying, but Joe, I don't necessarily think I'm a righteous guy. You might think you are sinful and you are saying, geez, I, I'm an awful guy, but I have not given my life to Christ. I have, uh, I am holding on to my old way of life. I don't want to let it go. I, I don't want to uh, live this Christian life that God has called me to. I've seen the cost and I don't want to take up the cost of following Jesus, then it is right for you not to take of the Lord's Supper, to not come and be a part of this. This is only for those who have seen their need and desperately cling on to Christ as their salvation. But for, may I just say briefly to you that if that is you, then you are not, if you're not ready for the Lord's table because of you depend on your own righteousness or because you're refusing to give up your sin, then friend, you are not ready to meet Christ. They're not ready to die. And there's such an importance for you to take a moment and consider that while you might not want to give up these things or while you not want to admit your own sinfulness, you are not ready to meet the God of heaven. You need to know Jesus and what he has done. And I'd really ask and plead with you to consider those things and consider them well. But also, I want to say to you, those of you who are parents, if you're a parent of a young toddler or a newborn like I am now, yay, my little son was born this week um, and uh, or last week. And uh, we or maybe even a parent of a teen or a preteen. I want to say to you that we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper in, in our services. We're going to be taking communion, we're going to be breaking bread, we're going to be doing these things. And that's going to vary when we do in the service. But there are going to be moments when we do it when our children are in the service. Our kids are going to be there at the beginning of part of the service. And we might do it during our prayer time that we just take a moment to reflect on this wonderful, wonderful grace that we have received in Christ and partake of these elements. And I want you as parents to know that it is not good for your children to take of these elements if they do not know Christ. Um, if they have not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, if they have not come to a understanding that they themselves need Jesus because they are sinful and he has died for them and they have asked him to forgive him, then they must not take these elements. If your children are depending of, uh, dependent on the fact that you Christian, we Christian as a family, but haven't come to a personal realization that they need Christ, again, they must not take of these elements.
Because what we see later on in 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll read it later, that if we do so, that actually sometimes it says that when you don't take it in the right attitude or you take it wrongly, that we can bring sickness and illness and judgment upon ourselves, even to a point of death. And I do not want us to be able to, as parents, we've got to guard our children from taking this incorrectly here. But what this does mean, and this is what I am excited about and what we're excited about as a team, is this gives us a wonderful opportunity for us to proclaim the gospel to our children. As we uh, take these elements, it gives me an opportunity to say to my son, Malachi, who's old enough to start having these conversations with him more, is that, you can't take this because you need to know Jesus. And he doesn't. He doesn't know Christ. He has not declared his faith in Jesus. He has not seen his sinfulness. He thinks he's pretty amazing, actually. And so he doesn't see his depth of his sin. Yeah, he talks about Jesus. He prays to Jesus, but he, he hasn't quite grasped it. And I'm going to have these conversations with him. Boy, you can't take this because you need to know Christ. And there's going to be an opportunity for you as parents to have honest conversations with your children to do it. And this will give you those wonderful things. Now, I know as a, as a parent of a two-year-old is that as we do this in church and I get to drink and my wife gets to drink and eat and he isn't, there might be some tears, more likely going to be tears and tantrums, but it's going to be totally worth it. Because I get to have real conversations with him saying, buddy, you need to make this faith your own. This is not just for everyone. It's only for those who make it their own. Have you done that? Have you done that? And yet I must say there that it, this is not an adult activity. This is a believer's activity. So whether you are a five-year-old who has come to know Christ or you're a 55-year-old who has come to know Christ, you are able and must partake of those elements. But whether you are a five-year-old who hasn't come to know Christ and you're a 55-year-old who hasn't come to know Christ, you must not partake of these things. But as parents, that will mean as your five-year-old, if they know Jesus and you are sure of it and you've tested it and they, they know Christ, you know that for certain, is that you are able to, and you should have to coach them through it. There is gonna, you're going to help them to have to say, this is what you need to think about. Hey, pray these words Hey, do this, do that. Think about this. Thank Jesus for this, etc., etc. And you will have to guide them through it. As a parent, you are to disciple and mentor and guide and coach them through that. That is your job. And these opportunities as a family, as we partake of these elements, it gets you to do that. Either to bring them to Jesus and have those conversations about the gospel or to show them how to do it um, then. So how, how then do we uh, take the Lord's Supper? Well, maybe we should start this section off a bit negatively, if you will. Um, and as we do the hows and how not tos, I, I want you again, I just want to remind you that this, the Lord's Supper is given so that it would warm our heart towards Christ. And so as we talk about who's and, and don'ts and, and how's, I don't want it to be the strict legal principle guide with a big wooden spoon hitting us as we get this wrong. No, this po- the point of this is to, to help us to draw us closer. And he does so that we might experience the benefits, which we'll speak about later, and experience him and have our hearts warmed to his great love for us. But there are some do's and don'ts. And let's look at the don'ts. How do we not t- take it? We don't, well, firstly, we don't take it carelessly. We don't come towards the Lord's table out of just a practical habit. We don't do it because others around us are doing it and it feels a bit awkward that I haven't gone up. We don't do it in the sense of irreverence, um, but rather it is essential that as we partake of these elements, that we make sure that our, ho- our, our hearts aren't far away from God. 
but rather are close to him. If, I, if we come and partake of these elements and our hearts are far away from him and we do so carelessly, we do so sinfully, and ultimately we forfeit the benefits that, uh, that come with taking the Lord's Supper. And it's, it's essential here to, like other areas, like coming together and hearing the word of God preached, like uh, meeting in small groups, like going to a prayer meeting. I've used all of the other three things that they devoted themselves to. Those moments all require us to come in the right state state of mind with the right heart attitude and pitching up while is it is certainly a step but there is another step that needs to be taken we need to come expectant and ready and certainly when we come to the lord's table we need to come with the right heart the right mindset not carelessly not irreverently but in an issue of faith knowing that this is what christ has done for me and we take this seriously not as just a castaway thing that we do because others are doing this as well um, and, it's, and, and certainly if we do not draw near in an attitude of faith, repentance, love, if we come with a heart full of sin and of the world, we are far, uh, we come off not better, but rather worse. Um, and we see this in that 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 29. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so we don't come irreverently or carelessly. We make sure that we come with the right attitude and the right framework. We also do not come to the Lord's table in order to gain um, favor. We don't do so to gain favor. Uh, or salvation. Uh, the Lord's Supper is not meant as an act in order to gain the favor of God or an act in order for us to gain salvation at all. And if to do so is to miss the meaning of of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper's meaning is to point us to the one in whom we have already gained salvation through, to point us to the one who has found favor for us it is not to find favor. We are not to idolize the Lord's Supper as the one, as a means to gain salvation. No, um, the, the Lord's Supper points us to the one in whom we gained, have gained and can gain salvation. And it is points to Jesus. Uh, the, the third thing that we do not come to the Lord's table in is we mustn't come in a state of unforgiveness. We must not come to the Lord's table with unforgiveness in our hearts. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts, we should stay away uh, from uh, the Lord's table. We should not partake of it. Um, we should rather stop, leave it, and if necessary, leave immediately. Go find the person that we need to forgive and forgive them. Um, as far as possible, we need to, as believers, live peaceably with everyone. Remember, the Lord's Supper, the representation of it is not only the death of Christ, but as we break it and partake of it, is that we are unified in Christ. And, and therefore, division and unforgiveness is not, you cannot have that in your heart and truly partake of the Lord's Supper in all its meaning and its worth. Also, you cannot partake of the Lord's Supper with unforgiveness in your heart because to do so is, is really uh, to, to damage downplay the magnitude of what Christ has done for you. To be unforgiven in your heart and yet to say, Lord, I delight in the fact that you have forgiven me so much that the God of the universe had to die for me and has forgiven me of all my sin, but yet hold on to unforgiveness towards somebody else. Definitely shows that we have in maybe over time or over a period have allowed unforgiveness to skew what Christ has done for us that we have downplayed the magnitude of what 
of the forgiveness that we have received. And so it just can't happen. We need to make sure that we forgive others. And just a bit of practical things around forgiveness, just briefly, uh, I must say um, that it is important that for some of you, you might just need to put your pride in your pocket and go and say sorry. And uh, for the sake of your relationship with God, for the sake of enjoying the, the Lord's Supper, for the sake of what Christ has done for you in light of what he has done, some of you might just need to put your pride in your pocket and forgive and, um, and do so. And that might mean you never get a sorry. It might mean that you never get the response that you have been holding out and hoping for that your grumpiness and bad attitude toward them would receive. Um, but it's just you need to do it and we are called to do it. Um, may I also say, though, that forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that things need to go back to the way they were. While as far as possible, we need to live peaceably with someone. If you have become out of abusive relationship, while you, while in a real difficult way, you have to forgive him. And I understand the difficulty behind that. It does not mean you have to get back into that relationship or hang out every Sunday um, or hang out on, on, on weekdays. You don't have to do that. Um, uh, that you would just be irresponsible, but forgiveness still needs to take place in your heart. And, and lastly, and this is my last comment, maybe you're upset with someone and they don't know about it. Say you're upset with me. I've done something, I've said something that frustrates you or annoys you, and you're upset with me. Uh, and you just walk up to me and say, Joe, I forgive you. And go, oh, great, but what about? And you say, oh, you said this, and I'm going, oh, well, I didn't mean it like that. It's just going to upset you more, right? Um, if the person doesn't know that you cross with them, if you've been passive aggressive and it hasn't worked out as the way you've hoped, um, I, my suggestion is you just forgive them and move on. Don't go and say anything there. Uh, we have preached on this, uh, but when we preached on the Lord's Prayer, but this time last year, um, we went and spoke about uh, spoke about forgiving others as part of our part of that series. And I encourage you if you want if you're struggling with forgiveness, you can go listen to that. Uh, it, it will be helpful, very practical. Um, so you can't come to the Lord's table with unforgiveness in your heart. Also, we can't come in isolation. We can't do this in by ourselves. Again, the expression of the Lord's Supper is the body being broken and dished out to members of the body. And uh, this is a church ordinance. It's not an individual ordinance. It's something that's done in community. It's communion, communion with God, but also communion with others. It's part of a fellowship. And so we can't do this by ourselves. If you are watching this online and you are not part of a church and uh, you, are, you, you just stay by yourself, you don't do church, church is not for you, then Lord's Supper is not for you. Um, I understand in the season that we're in, we partake of the Lord's Supper and we've done so online. And that's fine because we're doing it so together. Yes, maybe at different homes, but we're doing an attitude together. That's, that's, our, that's our heart and that's all right. But also it means that we can't go to Jerusalem and we can sit by the Wailing Wall and do Lord's Supper by ourselves. This is a, something that is done with other believers. And that's the attitude. It doesn't have to be believers of the same local church. It can be, we can be mixed as long as we know Christ. It's okay. We can partake of these elements together. It doesn't have to be a certain number. It can be two. Minimum is two. It can be with somebody else that is a believer in Christ as we partake of this body. And it's fine. Last one that we should not take the Lord's Supper in is we cannot do so in active sin. We cannot be living openly in sin. And what I mean by that is intentionally, you know, there is a big sin in your life and you 
have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, you know about it, and yet you continue on doing so. You refuse to cast it off, you know, not fighting against this. This could be the, the way you do business. It could be the, the fact that you're cheating somebody out in deal. It could be the fact that you are struggling with pornography. It could be living in a, a, a certain lie that you're const- constantly doing. Um, it could be a number of things, but you cannot constantly be living openly in sin, doing it over and over and over again. And as a result, um, you take partake of the Lord's Supper. You just can't. So if you're sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you just can't do it. That's an open sin. Scripture tells us that. You, if you haven't committed adultery, you just can't take this. You, you cannot. And to do so would be nothing f- short of um, an insult to Christ, an insult to the gospel. Nothing short of this. To come to the Lord's table and say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me, dying on the cross for me, sacrificing your life for me, this massive thing that you have done. And yet, so that I might be set free from sin and I might enjoy you, but actually I'm not going to enjoy all that you have, but I'm going to hold on to the sin that you have died for and enjoy it and, and try satisfy myself in it and not live for you is nothing but an insult and you cannot do it. But rather what you need to do is that you need to, you need to not partake of it. You need to seek repentance, move on, cast those things aside and no longer do them and then come back to the Lord's table. Um, and that is a scary place to be in if that's the place you're in. But what that does not mean, and I've got to be careful here, what it does not mean is that we come to the table perfect. <laughs> Far from it. We, we are not perfect. We are sinful. We do mess up regularly. We do, we do not have to come to the table in a state of worthiness. We are not worthy. Um, in fact, if you, the right attitude is not to come to the table in a worthy attitude, but rather in an unworthy attitude. I am not worthy of this. Um, uh, I'm not worthy of partaking of these things because it's in those moments that we realize that it's by the grace of God and by the magnitude of what Christ has done on the cross that I can partake. It is that attitude of I am unworthy in the presence of God means I cling to Jesus more because I know it is by Jesus and Jesus alone that I can be here. And so it is, it's important that we don't come in an attitude of pride and, and, and perfectness, a perfect uh, attitude, not at all. We come unworthy. doesn't mean we condemned. We don't come in an attitude of condemned. We're not condemned. For there's no condemnation in Christ. But rather we cling to the cross. We cling to Christ. I am unworthy. And we come to him. So how then do we come to him? We really kind of started talking about it. How do we come to the Lord's table? How are, are we to take it? Well, there's four things. And I, I've, there's a, uh, Michael Eaton uses an analogy or the, this imagery of uh, looking up, uh, looking forward, um, looking back and looking inward. And I'm hoping I'm going to use the same imagery so that we might be able to remember it a little easier when we start taking this in weeks to come. If we can remember those four things to do them, we'll be, we'll do it well. And the first one is to look back, uh, to look back and, uh, to, and to do so to serve faith. When we look back, we look at the cross. We look at the wonders of what Christ has done. We look at the fact that he has died for my sin. We, we remember the magnitude of what Jesus has done. And we let the magnitude of this glorious gospel melt my heart towards Jesus again. We let it place in me a deep desire for him. We, we let it stir up a love for him again. We make sure that I hold and grip onto this cross because it is so glorious and grace, gracious, this, this work of Jesus. Jesus 
with what he has done for me. And so I hold on to it. We let it stir up in us again a, a, a pursuit after Jesus and a thirst and a hunger for him. That's what we, we want to do. And so we make sure that we allow this um, this, this, these elements as we hold on to them to preach to us and to stir up faith in my heart again. I am saved through the blood of Jesus. I am sure of it. I am saved through what Christ has done through his death and resurrection. And I will allow that to stir up faith in him again and solidify this faith based on this wonderful truth of the gospel. Well, not only do we look back, but we look up. And uh, we, we do so in thanksgiving. We look up to God and we, do, we have a, a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving towards him. As we, we give thanks for the bread, as we give thanks for the blood, we, we allow that uh, to do so um, and to stir up in us a thanksgiving to him for what he has done for us. He has done this incredible work. And we're thankful that this great, glorious God would die for me and I am forgiven. And we praise him and worship him for all that he has done. We, we look forward. And uh, well, you remember last week, Matt spoke about, uh, and we looked at the passage in, in the, uh, the book of Luke. And Jesus says, when he it will take of these elements, he will not drink of the wine, the vine again until he comes. And this is the imagery of the day that one day Christ will come back and there will be uh, there will be a great banquet. That these elements that I partake of now are just a foretasting and foreshadowing of what is to come. That while I come into the presence of Christ as I enjoy these elements and partake of them, oh man, there's going to be a fullness of the presence of Christ that yet is to come. That I'm going to not only be at the table here just tasting a little bit of wine or grape juice and and some bread I'm going to be at the banquet where there's going to be a place with my name on it there's going to be reserved for me there and I allow this to stir up hope in my heart knowing that whatever I am going through, oh man, it is temporal because the coming of Christ is soon. I am going to cling on to him and enjoy him. I am going to be with him in eternity in the presence of God. And we allow that to put energy in our legs again, to run the race that he has called us to do so now. We allow that to stir up hope in my heart to the midst of trial, knowing what I'm going through is temporal, but what is to come is eternal. And allow my heart to yet again, and my eyes yet again, to be fixed on God and Christ and not on things that are temporal of this world we allow that to stir up hope in our hearts and and lastly we look inwardly and uh, this is a, a self-examination and this is what 1 corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 says it says let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup let it let him examine himself and we do this by making sure as we come to the table that we examine whether we come in faith do I believe in this Jesus? Do I, am I, am I sure that he has died for me? Yes, I am. I let it, I come in faith that knowing that it is by Christ that I come. But not only do I allow it to, uh, come in a state of, uh, I come in clinging to the, the cross, but also when I do this examination, there, there is a possibility that the Holy Spirit will enlighten and show me in my heart, illuminate my heart, the things that are sinful. And as I do that, I, I repent. I say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. I, I forgive me for these things. I, I see that. Sorry, Lord. And, and, and we allow the Holy Spirit to do work in our hearts. So those are the four ways to, to look back, look up, look forward and look inward. And if we do that, so we will be able to have the right attitude as we partake of the Lord's Supper.
So the next question is, when do we partake of Lord's Supper? Uh, we do so in big fellowship and in small fellowship. And if you don't know the terminology, go listen to the last two Sunday's messages. But what we see is that there is certainly in Acts 2.42, a small fellowship uh, uh, partaking of the bread. Um, we see that it says, as they met in homes, they broke bread. As they met in each other's homes, they did so. Acts 2, uh, 46, it says that um, for us. And so we there's a definite uh, in small group gatherings that we, we break uh, bread. But also, while there is no explicit, they did so at the temple or in, in, in church gathering, uh, there is certainly this idea that we do so as, as a body. If this is a reflection of our unity, of a reflection of who we are as gathered people, it makes sense that we do so in big, big fellowship um, as we express our love for one another and our communion with each other and with Christ together, we do so in big fellowship. Now, I hear the question being asked, how often, Joe, do we do it? Um, and to be honest, that's a very good question. Um, and what we're going to be doing is this eldership, we're going to be meeting this coming Tuesday to kind of just what are our biblical convictions and what do we feel that the Lord is saying, how often we should do this in big fellowship and, and in small fellowship. There are a couple of things that are clear. We do not neglect it. We do not uh, uh, we do not neglect it in duty regularly, and uh, we also do not do it at, uh, in in an attitude of meaningless habit. And so those are things that we'll have to have to consider. But what that does mean, though, is if there are um, if we do this in small gathering, it does mean that it is not the minister or the pastor or the elder or the apostle in 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 Acts two forty two's case is that it is not the apostles that had to lead it. It's not a special, unique person that has to, uh, with a special calling that has to uh, administer the, the elements, not at all. But there are some things there. The person who does lead it needs to be a person who's able to receive it. And what I mean by that is they are someone who is not disqualified by the don'ts. They don't have unforgiveness in their heart. They're not living in sin, uh, um, living in sin openly. They're not um, a person who is in isolation, all those kinds of things. They're not those that person. But also they are able to understand the meaning behind it and the need to express it. So while any believer can administer it, I would uh, say that because we want to guard a carelessness behind it is the person who grasps the meaning and is able to lead others in that meaning well. And lastly, and when do we do so? We do not do so irregularly. And as an individual, you, I'm speaking to you, um, as an individual, uh, it is important for you to make every effort to, when we do this in big gathering or small gathering, that you make sure that you get there. Uh, to be a part of this because it has incredible benefits to your soul. I'm going to close off with a couple of points on the benefits of um, that it has to the believer, and these will be brief and short. The first one is that if we partake of this in the right attitude and the right mindset, and we uh, think about the right things of looking back, looking up, uh, looking uh, forward, and looking within, if we do that, we will be certain for sure that Jesus loves us. As we partake of these elements, we'll be reminded of the magnitude of his love for us, his perfect, steadfast love. We see this said in Romans 5, 20, uh, sorry, Romans 5, 6 and 8. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. No, perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. 
but God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we partake of this, we cannot hope but feel I am loved by God himself. Christ loves me. Um, secondly, we are also assured of the wonderful blessing of the future. And I've already expressed this uh, a little more earlier. But we are have this hope of what is to come. We have a hope that I am going to be with Christ and he will be with me. That he has saved me and he has a place marked out for me at this great wedding banquet. And that stirs in up a hope to be able to drive and run this race for the glory of Christ. When we partake of it, it also humbles us. It has a humble effect on me humble effect on my soul as I, I partake of and hold this bread and hold this this wine and as I as I'm about to partake of it I cannot help but feel the magnitude of how sinful sin is uh, as I realize that it took the perfect son of God to come and live and die uh, for me and right, be raised again on the third day so that sin might be defeated and how that was done for me because I am sinful it humbles my soul which is a good thing Fourthly, it sanctifies us. It does a work in us as we uh, partake of these things and as we look to the cross and as we recall regularly what Jesus Christ has done for us, as we fix our eyes on Jesus and the cross, naturally what happens is we be sanctified as we take our eyes off this world and fix it on Christ. The Holy Spirit molds us and shapes us into the image of Christ as we keep our eyes on him. As we think about Christ and his work, we can't live in sin. We, we can't actively enjoy it because we are so actively enjoying Christ. Because we realize again the magnitude of what he has done for us. As we look inwardly and we start to reflect on ourselves, Holy Spirit enlightening us and showing us sin and we repent and turn from that, we become more and more like Christ. And lastly, I want to say that it, it, it gives us joy. It gives us an incredible joy. As we partake of it, man, it, 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 as uh, J.C. Rowell says, it has a cheering effect on the soul. Man, the sight of the bread and the wine reminds me again that this, this is a perfect, complete sacrifice and salvation that I have received in Christ. The work of Jesus is perfect. It is complete. It is finished. It is done. There is nothing else I have to do. I am, have been enjoying the fullness of God because it is done and perfect in Christ. His sacrifice is fully complete. He has achieved it all. As he said on the cross, it is finished. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am right with God and the work is done and I will enjoy him forever. It has a cheering effect on our soul and while I, while saying i'll say this in conclusion is that while that we partake of these things um it might not be this overwhelming firework experience every time it might praise god if it is and now and again but there is a slow moving of the spirit as he does this we'll become more assured of our love We'll be more cheerful as people. We'll have more hope in our hearts. We'll be more humble and less prideful. We'll be more and more made in the image of Christ as the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ shapes us as we partake of this regularly. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I hope this encourages you to come to the Lord's table as often as you can, to partake of it well, not meanlessly, not carelessly, because the benefits for you are, in, are great as you get to feel Christ draw you into his presence, draw you closer to him, that you might be able to experience him more and more and more. 
let us pray. Lord, we come before you uh, this morning and we just want to thank you so much for all that you've done. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Christ. And we thank you for this, that you have given us the Lord's Supper to not be this theoretical thing that we think about, but we can practically experience that we can be in your presence and enjoy the wonderful work of Christ. That we can recall all that you've done, that we might remember over and over again the work of Jesus on the cross, the work of uh, what you've done in our hearts and in our souls. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that take this seriously and that do not downplay this, that we would make sure that we love and enjoy you. Fix our eyes on Christ, we pray. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we're going to go in time of communion now. And uh, are you going to see me just a little differently in a different situation? Uh, but if you have your elements, please be ready to do so. And there we go. Some elements. Isn't that great? Um, if you have your elements with you, if you haven't, just take a moment, pause, go and grab them. Uh, but if you do have them with you, would you, would you mind just closing your eyes? And uh, just spend some time thinking of those four things that we wanted to do. Uh, spending some time thinking of looking back and just reflecting on the cross. Take a moment just to think of what Christ has done for you on the cross and uh, the magnitude of that. Let that stir up faith for him yet again in your heart. And once you've done that, take a moment to look upward, to reflect on what uh, Christ has done and let that stir in your heart into some praise and thanksgiving. Thank him for what he's done. Praise him for what he has done. And after that, take a chance to look forward. Look to the moment that you are going to be in the presence of God, that you're going to be with him in eternity, that as you eat of the, the, uh, the bread and drink from the cup, that you realize that what you have now is just a foretaste of the glorious hope that we have in Christ in the future. And then take a moment to look inwardly. Just let that reflect in your heart. Have you come with faith this morning? Have, have, is there any sin that you need to ask for forgiveness for? Do that, let's just take a moment. Let's just take a minute or two, just whatever stage you need to spend some time on, just do it. This is the body of Christ broken for us and handed out virtually to every single one of us. And as we partake of the bread, we are reminded again that we have been saved by Jesus Christ into a body, into a group of people, uh, into a church. And we are all equal recipients. There's no partiality with Christ. We are all equal recipients of his grace. Let us eat together. As we drink of this, we are reminded that Christ's blood is spilt for us, that it should have been our blood that was spilt and shed, but it was Christ's. 
and by his shedding of his blood our sins have been washed away. That in Jesus, if we have faith in him, we have been washed clean, as white as snow, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us drink together. How wonderful it is, Lord, to spend time in your presence. How wonderful it is that we can reflect on you, reflect on your cross, reflect on what you've done for us and remember it. Oh Lord, we just thank you that we can just settle our hearts in the wonders of Christ and the glory of what you have done for us on the cross. Stir our hearts with faith, stir our hearts with hope, stir our hearts with thanksgiving. We praise, we cling to the wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. We say this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cheers, everyone. Have a good day.